When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Coffee and contemplation. Drink the coffee, it'll make you feel better. Sir, do you realize that you're not drinking regular coffee, but Colombian decaffeinated coffee crystals? What? Picks you up, calms you down, it's the lifeblood that drives the dreams of champions. Now he's been down in the basement drinking coffee for about the last four hours, and he should be all ready to go. I'll, I'll call him up. Welcome to College Football Monday, a Sons of Saturday live show. I'm your host, Pete B., and I'm coming to you each and every week to recap the latest action in college football, as well as give you a little bit of a a dose of what the Hokies did this past weekend. Fortunately, it was a great weekend of college football across the spectrum. So despite the Hokies struggling and uh, giving us just giving us heartburn, all, all year so far, uh, there is a lot of good stuff to talk about. And so we're going to talk about it. And thank you for that. Good morning to you, TJ. Much appreciated. Please hop in the chat. Give me a like, subscribe, all the good stuff. This The point of this show uh, was to have an exclusive YouTube show where we'll encourage people to hop on and subscribe to the Sons of Saturday YouTube channel, which we're trying to grow. But uh, this will get posted to the Two Deep feed later in the day. So as I said, I'm going to recap all the action from week four, including the wild finishes in South Bend and Clemson. Bama potentially being back. (laughs) We'll talk about the Bama Ole Miss game, Colorado turning into a pumpkin, and so much more, including what happened in Huntington. After we go through this past Saturday's games, I'm going to give you my playoff four as I do every week. And if you have any questions, just just put them in the chat, like the video. That's what that's what we ask of you guys if you're if you're over here hanging out with me today. I'm going to get to the big game between Ohio State and Notre Dame in a little bit once I have a guest come on and help me out. I got a, an Ohio State fan and friend coming on the show a little bit later. Let's start with Florida State though, cuz they survived. This is the second week in a row where FSU needs to hold someone off, or in this case, come back. And it was in much grander fashion down in Death Valley, an overtime win at Clemson, 31 to 24. Clemson came out hot. They were ready to play. Dabo was fired up and they got up 10, nothing. It was 17 to seven Clemson, but then FSU really started making some plays. They scored a touchdown right before the half to make it 14 to seven. And the third quarter was awesome. Back and forth, the sack fumble and subsequent scoop and score by Florida State really changed this game. Is how I would it's it's basically what my assessment was. I was obviously watching our game and kind of going back and forth, and I had to to rewatch some of the stuff on Florida State. But that play was a big one, and it kind of changed Klubnik as well. Clemson got a little conservatively conservative offensively later in the game down the stretch, missed a field goal late in the fourth quarter, which could have won it. And but the D was playing great, and and both like sides of the ball later in the game were playing some really good defense. Clemson only allowed Florida State 311 yards. They could not rush. This is the second time we've seen Florida State really struggle to rush the football at times. Against LSU, it was the same thing. Just 22 yards rushing for Florida State. It goes to OT, and Keon Coleman just makes a great play. 
for the touchdown, shut Clemson down, and they won 31 to 24. Klubnik wasn't great, but Travis was. I mean, Travis, Jordan Travis, I mean, 289 yards, two touchdowns, and he had to do it all himself because, like I said, they couldn't rush the ball. An 87 QBR for him, and he is banged up. And then that led to the comment in the Cover 3 podcast, which I tweeted out yesterday, that Bud and Tom Fernelli were talking like, Tech is coming up after Florida State's bye. They just think they should rest Jordan Travis for the Tech game. And honestly, with the way we're playing, it was disrespectful, but it's warranted because Florida State and their second team might be able to beat the Hokies right now. Their second quarterback at the very least. It's it's tough times when you're hearing stuff like that on the national podcast. It's also wild that Dabo is essentially eliminated from the playoff in week four. And there was a chance we would have had Saban and Dabo eliminated from the playoff in week four. As it stands, Saban is still in. But I still think Dabo could get Dabo and Clemson could get to the ACC title game. And if they get a chance at Florida State again, I mean, look at this one. This one went to overtime. Clemson could beat Florida State. And so that would be pretty nuts because I'm pretty sure Clemson's going to rip off a bunch of wins. They're going to get to nine. Maybe, maybe they do lose three games, but they could still win the ACC. And that, and then you'd have the situation like last year where if Florida State's undefeated to that point, and they, they got some tough games coming up too, but say Florida State stays undefeated until that point. We saw TCU run the table, lose the Big 12 title game, and then go to the playoff. Could that happen for Florida State? Potentially. The ACC race is going to be fascinating though. Alabama took care of Ole Miss. Jalen Milrow, back to QB1. I talked about it last week. Something something had to be going on there because it didn't make sense that Buckner got the start. We talked about the potential of maybe a suspension for Jalen Milrow last week, but he was back to starting. He's their best quarterback. And that defense for Bama is real. They held Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin to 10 points. And in the first half, both defenses were playing great. It was 7-6 to six at halftime. Ole Miss could only muster a field goal in the second half. And Bama was able to add one more score in the fourth on the TD by McClellan. Their defense, though, only 300 yards allowed by Bama to a Lane Kiffin-led offense. Dart had a rush TD and an interception. He he was okay, but, I mean, they, Bama gave him real problems. And Ole Miss, Bud Elliott has been talking about how, like, they're not a good football team. And what's funny is, like, this is a big win on, on paper for Bama, like, Ole Miss was undefeated, top 25 team. But are either of these teams that good? And I think the defense is good for Bama, but like we saw what happened against Texas. They It was a competitive game, but it didn't feel like Bama was going to win that game. And then if you, if you think about playing it forward for Bama in a playoff game, could they win a playoff game? I don't know. That, that's how I kind of come away from this game. Ole Miss couldn't run the ball, and that's that's good for Bama going forward into SEC play. They they have a good a good rushing defense. I was wavering on my Bama to the SEC title game pick a little bit last week, but I'm I'm going to stick with it because despite LSU looking better last week, they kind of played around with Arkansas. I'm going to talk about that game in a second, and I'm none of these teams are great. And so the the best unit is Bama's D, I think. 
and, and I know Jaden Daniels plays well at times, but I'm going to stick with Bama as my SEC West champ pick. I still think they're going to come out of the West, but I don't think there's a great team in that West this year. I really don't. Colorado's Cinderella run is over. Oregon just came out and smacked them 35 nothing at halftime, 42 6 final. So in the second half, Oregon, I would have expected a little bit more from Oregon in the second half, but the game was over. The Ducks were pushing them all over the place. It wasn't really competitive. 39 yards. Wait, wait, wait. 39 yards through 40 minutes for the Buffs. Is that right? Shador just, he's his QBR has come down every week, and they have been playing um, more competitive games. The offensive line is really struggling, so it kind of makes sense that he doesn't look as good as he does in, did in week one, but every week we've seen his rating and his QBR come down. And he was throwing for 358 yards, 350 plus yards in all the other games. It They are back down to earth. And I said, this is probably a five or six loss team last week. They were going to catch two quick losses to Oregon and USC. And this was what Colorado probably is because their lines of scrimmage are not, they're not up to snuff. That's that's just the way it is for them right now. I still think they can throw some punches against some of the very good teams in the Pac-12. They might even steal a win against one of those many top 25 teams. But this, this is what I expected to happen against a very good team for Colorado. And everyone was, the money uh, in terms of the bets across America was all over Colorado and yeah, that 21 point spread was it was done in the first half. They they got shut down. With the Pac-12 being the way it is and how many good teams there are, I'm going to give my playoff 4 a little bit later and I'm thinking about putting a Pac-12 team in my playoff 4. But man, this conference is tough. I'll talk a little bit more about the Pac-12 in a second. Let's get to Penn State blanking Iowa. And this is a good precursor for when I bring on my guest and talk about the other Big Ten team that's a contender in Ohio State. But Penn State took Iowa down 31-0. It was the first shutout for Iowa in 23 years. This isn't good for Brian Ferentz's quest for a 325 this year, <laughs> putting up a goose egg. 14 minutes of possession for Iowa. The stats coming out of this game on Iowa's offense are absolutely preposterous. 14 minutes of possession, just 33 plays. Penn State had 97 plays. In the last five years, no team has outplayed by a team by 60-plus plays at all. It's never happened once. So this is the first time in five years, and maybe longer, that a team had 60 more plays than the other team. 20 rushing yards on 17 attempts for Iowa. Drew Aller for Penn State, he was very good, uh, despite only having 166 yards. It was it was a bizarre day. He he put up four touchdowns and 85 QBR on that stout defense. Penn State ran the ball. They did a really good job running the ball. 215 yards and 57 carries. So many carries. 57 carries in the game for Penn State. Iowa's got a hell of a punter, though. <laughs> that's that's what I will say. 50 plus yards per punt for Iowa. But this was this was kind of a statement win for Penn State. I, I know I've talked about their schedule being a two-game schedule and Ohio State and Michigan basically coming down to two-game schedules, especially for Ohio State after, after the Notre Dame game's over. But this beating Iowa like this, a team that's given Penn State problems, a team that generally has a good defense, this was a big win. And 
provides a little bit more legitimacy to Penn State's Big Ten title hopes. And so we'll see about that. Penn State also gets Michigan at home, the other team that gives them a ton of problems. So that could be that could be the difference this year, just getting that Michigan game at home. I don't think Penn State, it's going to be those three teams and those that series of games is going to be so interesting how they split them up, who gets which games. Uh, can't wait for that. Talk a little bit more about that with my guest. Before I get to him, uh, LSU messed around with Arkansas. I talked about that just a little bit. That happens in this rivalry, so I'm not reading too, too much into it for LSU. But K.J. Jefferson tore up that defense. That LSU defense has a, a few issues. Jaden Daniels was phenomenal. Four touchdowns through the air, 320 yards. Thomas and Neighbors, the receivers for LSU, just went off. They both had 130-plus yards, two touchdowns each. They're, LSU's definitely good and worthy of a top 20 ranking. But are they a top 10 team? Are they a playoff team? With the, with the way that defense is playing, 101st in yards per play allowed for the LSU defense. That's not what we're used to. I, I know they've played a couple decent teams, and they had that Florida State team in week one who has a great offense. But 101st in yards per play at LSU, that's not going to get it done. And if you're talking about a Bama matchup with them and Bama not having a great quarterback, well, once you go up against a team giving up, what is it, like over six yards per play, that's good. That's a good matchup for Bama because they'll probably be able to shut Jaden Daniels down a little bit. Washington State got a huge one over Oregon State, 38-35. Had a 35-14 lead going into the fourth, and they had to outlast a furious comeback by the Beavers. Beavers, notably, in one of my fraud teams segment last week. they I don't think they're necessarily a bad team. I think this was a good game, and they valiantly fought back 21 points in the fourth quarter by Oregon State. But Cam Ward, too good to overcome, 28 of 34, 404 yards and four TDs for Cam Ward, the quarterback for Washington State, and 93 QBR. The wide receiver, Kyle Williams, seven receptions for 174, 25 yards per catch for that kid. Big plays all over the field. DJU was fine. Oregon State ran the ball really well, though, and that helped them out. 242 yards rushing. A little bit of a, a reality check for the Beavers in this one. That UCLA-Utah game, I'm not going to talk about it long because that wasn't a good game. 14-7, to Rice-Eccles does it again. Utah gets a win at home. Just seven points for Chip Kelly, and they didn't come until the fourth quarter. Both QBs were a bit trashy, is how I would analyze this one. Neither team hit 250 yards. Before I get to ACC notes and the other notable games, let me add my guest here. Greg, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Morning, Pete. I'm <laughs> doing great. Good morning. Yeah, Victory Monday for you. I like the shirt. <laughs> Victory Monday. Thank you. Came prepared. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about that big win because 17-14, not the prettiest of games, but kind of a classic slobber knocker of a football game. It reminded me of a classic Big Ten game, although one of these teams is independent. It felt like Big Ten football. The colors were popping on screen. A really beautiful and loud environment <laughs> as I was watching the game. Yep. Yeah. So, it. I mean, like you said, a slobber knocker. It's one of those games that you expect out of, you know, these two Midwest teams, which, 
you know, Notre Dame being independent probably should have been in the Big Ten when they decided to do ACC for everything else. But beside the point, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it kind of lived up to expectations. Um, you know, Give me this, a second here. Now, just yeah. before we get started, what was your what you're a lifelong Ohio State fan, right? Mm-hmm. So just in like three sentences, describe your fandom, like the background of why you're a Ohio State fan. Yeah, born and raised in Dayton, um, you know, from Ohio, lived almost all of my life in Ohio until I you know, moved to D.C. in 2016, where I was fortunate to meet you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I went to Ohio State for undergrad. I went to Ohio State for grad school. So I have a lot on I have a lot writing on Ohio State, um, which has its good points and has its bad points. Um, right. I'm more yeah, good than bad for you guys. More <laughs> good than bad. But the uh the losses can sting quite a bit um as when you, you know, are good you know, they hurt a lot more right <laughs> exactly exactly especially you know going back more most recently to the consecutive michigan and georgia losses last year which like you know the georgia one particularly you know being a field goal away from potentially you know probably winning a national championship i would say TCU so yeah. in the title game but yeah lifelong ohio state fan was born and raised on them, you know, went, paid way too much money to go to Ohio state for too many years. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of skin in the game. And I was fortunate enough to, so this past weekend for the Notre Dame game, one of my college friends got married. So I was actually in Cleveland, uh, to watch, you know, in the, in the motherland. That's great. That is which great. Was great. Yeah. And I'm sure you're at a wedding, right? And so the crowd was mostly Ohio state people just like, during the Notre Dame Ohio State game, that friend—I mean, you got to have a hard conversation with that friend about it. <laughs> it it wasn't ideal for watching the game. Um, I think I told you this. There's a lot of sneaky way to the bar to, you know, efficiently buy drinks and you know catch snippets of the game at the same time. Which I don't know if that led to drinking more. If I you know would have drank anyway during the game way too much. But funny enough, one of my, one of my good buddies from college, the quintessential Schmitty, um, his, so <laughs> everyone's his got family, one. <laughs> everyone's got one. His, his dad went to Notre Dame. His mom went to St. Mary's, which is the, you know, before Notre Dame was co-ed is the, right, right. you know, all women's college you know, across the street. So they're huge Notre Dame fans. So he's like always conflicted if we, um, you know, if, when, if, and when we play Notre Dame. So it was, he was saying it was crickets from, uh, from his family after the game, um, painful loss for them. Yes. Very painful. And this was a battle. It really was just three yep. to nothing at the half in the game. The long run to, by Henderson, who Virginia kid, who we desperately wanted, got it to 10 to nothing, but the <laughs> Irish battled back, uh, scoring two, mm-hmm. Two 10-plus play drives for them. They put together some nice drives. Not a lot of explosive plays in this game, as you can probably tell by the score, but the Irish were ahead. And with four minutes left and a fresh first down by Estime, I, I wasn't, it was in Notre Dame territory, but it looked like it was kind of over. Like It looked like they were going to be able to milk the clock, but they couldn't mm-hmm. move the ball after that. And they got a false start, punted the ball away. And OSU went 65 yards in a minute 25, punched in the last second TD with only 10 men on the field for Notre Dame, much talked about afterwards, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Yep. Bad look for Freeman and the Irish on that last play, but especially with how they'd been stuffing them all night. And that was kind of the story of this game. I felt like 
neither team could just get over that hump and like get some momentum and everyone kept getting stifled. Is that how, was that your read on it? It was, and I'll reverse to the pregame to, you know, Lou Holtz's comments about Ohio State being yes, a of we physical to team, Holtz. you know, the line play and everything, which I frankly didn't know Lou Holtz was still alive. Um, so I was a little, <laughs> I was a little surprised to see him pop back up, but um, you know, I think, I think a lot of this game did come down to the line play. I think both, you know, I think all of our, you know, O-lines, D-lines on both sides are fairly evenly matched. And I think you saw that in the, you know, in the offensive output, um, you know, Notre Dame had an extremely balanced, you know, offensive attack. I think it was at 176 yards receiving 175 yards passing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they held the ball a lot longer than we did, but when it came down to it on that last drive, um, you know, we did, you know, this, this is a kind of an ephemeral comment, but, you know, we did show that toughness and grit that, you know, his, you know, that Lou Holtz criticized us not having. Um, I think it was a big, I think it was a big growing moment for Kyle McCord, um, you know, a game winning drive in a very hostile environment, huge, you know, AP top 10 matchup between two you know, storied programs. And, you know, you complete a 22-yard pass on third and 19 with, what, like 40, 40 seconds ago, yeah, um, however yeah. long it was. So, I, you know, I think that's really impressive. I think that I, there was, what, one – I think there was one sack between the two of our teams the whole game, which I think probably, you know, speaks, again, to the, you know, lines matching up against each other well. We haven't had, you know – much, much of a, you know, pass rush attack at all this season from, you know, our, our defensive ends, but, you know, I think we'll get there. And this, you know, obviously was a huge statement when on the road. Absolutely. I mean, Kyle McCord is, is a good takeaway from the game. I wanted to talk about him because he didn't pass the ball. Great. Just 111 rating and struggling, but both teams struggled to move the ball. Both defenses were Mm -hmm. playing at a really high level. And in general, I thought he played well in a very tough environment. And when the game, when it came down to it, he managed the game and he was able to make that drive when it counted. And that was, a, like you said, a really good growing moment for him. I would also say his wide receivers make him look a lot better. And yes. there were a couple <laughs> opportunities, like the catch by Marvin Harrison on the sideline that got overturned the touchdown that was nearly caught by Abuka. Like there was mm-hmm. moments where Ohio state almost like took the next step and could have led to a much bigger win. But well, when we few- were on, I mean, we were on what the Notre Dame 11 with like four minutes ago. So we had been, I mean, we had yes, been driving, exactly. you know, in the fourth quarter before that, you know, before the touchdown with the second left. So they were, multiple- I mean, they were moving the ball, but multiple like third and fourth down stops to your point like that that was what was a big part of this game and ohio state was a little bit better on third down they converted what was it one out of three fourth downs and notre dame was over two on fourth downs i mean that's the margins of this game and ohio state despite having basically the same amount of yards and not holding the ball for as long as notre dame they were able to win the game on the very very slim margins the thinnest of margins but yep. I am was impressed with your defense 
just 351 yards allowed to a Notre Dame offense that was kicking total ass for through the first four games. What is the difference with the defense this year? Is it more leadership, a key guy standing out? Is it just better schematically, do you think? The defense has played under Knowles now for a full season and in year two now. I think that's probably the biggest difference. I think, you know, schematically there was some, you know, getting used to what he was bringing to the program because it was so, you know, it was, uh, you know, a far cry from, you know, our defensive schemes prior to him coming in. So I think that's probably, um, you know, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. I think our corner play has been better, yeah, much better than it was last year, yeah. which isn't saying much. Um, pretty, pretty low bar there, but um, that's encouraging because, like, you know, you know, thinking back to last year, we got, I mean, we got absolutely smoked by Michigan and Georgia on big plays, and even, I mean, even aside from those games, you know, our corner play was mediocre at best for most of the season um you know i think looking ahead i would love to see again you know more you know more of a pass rush see jack sawyer and um tj tumulu you know get around the end a lot more often um and get more pressure on quarterbacks but so far i mean you know i i don't think we've given up more than 17 points in a game this year which you know four games in that's you know not necessarily. But this was a good say, but mark. It, it really was. It was a good mark. And you, I mean, look at look at Notre Dame. You have Sam Hartman at quarterback now. Um, so it's not like this is a pushover offense by any no, means. No, I mean this was this was a really good test for them, <clears> and <throat> they passed with flying colors. Because you're right, last year the explosives were were all over the place, and I would have expected a little bit more from Notre Dame, and Ohio State was able to shut it down. I think the yep. weapons from Notre Dame, the skill talent outside of Estime, their deficiencies showed up in this game because Greathouse yep. is a freshman and he's their best wide receiver. And that's a problem for Notre Dame. And that's why I included them in my fraud teams last week. I felt like they were going into a tough stretch of games and they could have won this game. And it was very evenly matched. Totally. So I'm not trying to knock them too much, but when you talk about elite teams and what you need to get to the playoff and win a playoff game, you need more, you need better skills than on the outside. And if, yep. if Hartman was playing with Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool and Michael Mayer, they would have a legitimate chance for a national championship, but they yep. don't have those this year. Yeah. And I know, well, and then, so I, I mean, and then look at us, like you have, I mean, Henderson, you know, Harrison Jr., you know, one of the best wide receivers who's, you know, come through college football in the last yep. few years. You have Igbuka as a, you know, safety valve, not even a safety valve. I mean, he's, an awesome player, but like, electric, you know, yeah. if you have guys like, sh you know, putting all their focus on shutting down Harrison, you have, you know, this other stud, you know, on the other side of the field to throw to. And, you know, that makes a huge difference when you need, you know, when you're looking for options to, you know, to run plays and you have those skill players to, you know, to go to. I, I totally agree. And, and some of those in a game like this, where it is so tight, you need a guy to break a tackle, make a play, make a catch. And Ohio state just got yeah. that a little bit more done. And I know you're heavily biased for this next question, but <laughs> do you, do you think like the better team won this game? Like if they played it 10 times on a neutral field, do you think Ohio state comes away with it more? Because I, I have a hard time like walking away because of the way Notre Dame, like really 
they should have won the game. Like, I feel like they really mm-hmm. should have won the game. They should have been able to stop McCord on that last drive. And that that's a credit to McCord. But I, I, I'm, I wonder about Ohio state's like long-term like viability and as a playoff contender, because mm-hmm. unlike Alabama and Ole Miss, I did come away thinking both teams are very good, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure either of these teams can win a playoff game. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a tough question putting me on the spot being <laughs> the Ohio state Homer that I am. Right. Uh, right, right. <laughs> I, you know, I think that I'm not going to say that, you know, play this game 10 times, Ohio State's going to come away with it every single time. <laughs> I think if you're on a, I think if you're on a neutral field, we do, you know, win more than we lose. I think that, you know, being at Notre Dame, was a factor in, you know, it being as close as it was. And again, I think that, you know, I think there were some execution issues for, you know, again, that, the, that drive late in the fourth quarter before the game winner, where, you know, we got down to the Notre Dame 11 and, you know, couldn't, couldn't run a play to gain a yard on three and one or third and one. Um, you know, I think, I do, I do have some concerns, you know, moving forward. You know, I know you, I heard you mention this when I was waiting to come on, you know, the Penn state game looms large, the Michigan game looms large, especially like, you know, especially the way that Penn state looked, you know, this, this past Saturday against Iowa, Um, you know, Michigan, I, you know, vomit in my mouth saying this, but has had our number for the past two seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, you and know, the game's like, at Michigan. That's this just year, what it is. It's yep. Yeah, it's at Michigan. We have we have Penn State at home um, on my birthday, which will be fun. <laughs> I, li- listen, like that game, I, but, it's a tough read on it right now. Like it really is because this was yeah. a big win, and it's better than anything Penn State's done so far. Now the Iowa game, yeah. you you might have an argument like thirty-one nothing against Iowa might be as good as a three-point win against Notre Dame, but I just think Notre Dame is in a different class than Iowa for sure. And Penn State was too. at home. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that three team race in the Big Ten East is just going to be crazy. And those four Saturdays or whatever it is are going to be really, really fun football to watch. I'm still yeah. and I know I upset you early in the year. I picked Michigan as my playoff team. <laughs> I st- I've had them in there every every week. And I was really like I've been debating on what I want to do with my playoff four, especially with Penn State looking good. Ohio State getting that win and Michigan Without their head coach for the, through the first three games, he was back, and I had that wrong. I thought he, I thought he had a four game suspension, but he was back this past week. Yeah, and they looked, Cupcake they looked good against, but yeah, they looked good against a, a Rutgers team uh, who did beat Virginia Tech. But that's not saying a whole <laughs> lot right now. That Rutgers, what they do, played right into what Michigan does well, and that's just beat you up and smack you around in the run game. And Michigan was able yep. to easily beat them, but I don't think that's a yep. measure of how good Michigan is. Michigan hasn't looked great. Their FPI is 14. Ohio state's number one in the FPI for what that's yep. worth. And so like, that's, that's pretty damn good to be number one in any of those <laughs> metrics. So right now, I mean, Ohio state's played better than Michigan so far. And so yep. we'll see if they can, they can get over that hump this year. Yeah. I obviously, hope that that's the case you know i don't think that hot seat's the right word for ryan day but you know i think there are going to be a lot of john cooper comparisons um if you know if we lose three states three straight to michigan and they end up you know winning the big 10 outright you know three seasons in a row 
Um, you know, one of my one of my buddies who I went to Ohio State with made you know a point recently that you know he's come in and you know looks at. I think he looks at the program more, you know, A, to win national titles and not to beat Michigan, and B, you know, very much more as a, you know, pipeline for the NFL. Like, you look at, I mean, you look at these skill players who have come in, particularly receivers. You look at, you know, the, I mean, the dude's a quarterback whisperer. Uh, Like, look at the guys that he's, you know, developed. Um, You know, CJ Stroud most recently, who's, you know, already starting this year. Um, so I think, I I don't know. I think there's a little less fire on his, you know, on his end when it comes to the Michigan game than, you know, urban, for instance, um, who absolutely, you know, say what you will about him, but he, you know, dominated that series, which was awesome. But I think we're, I think we're finally getting to the point that we, you know, thought was coming when Harbaugh got hired where it's like you have these it, and it took a couple years but you have these just Titan programs just going up against each other you're gonna have top five yeah. you know matchups every single year which is you know honestly from a rivalry perspective what you want like I loved stomping Michigan for you know most of the last two decades but at some point that doesn't get it, it loses a little bit of the edge and the fun um yeah so, i mean the, you know, the, the way it's gone the last it's nice, two years but... yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but the, the way no, it's no, gone no. the last two years it adds to the lore to the fun to because totally. for a while there it just felt like michigan didn't have a chance and yep. then all of a sudden it's like holy crap they're beating ohio state up so yeah it, it makes the i want to hate michigan yeah right right and <laughs> and you do <laughs> but yeah that I'm I, this and this year's really cool in college football because all of the Titan programs, as you said, there isn't really a true elite elite program. Even Georgia, who has been dominant and yep. undefeated and all this good stuff, they don't look flawless. Like they look yep. beatable this year, and they won't even be tested through most of the regular season. So we're not even going right. to really find out about Georgia until the end. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Texas, those teams are are going to be tested. Florida State. Yep. I mean, Florida State's already had two huge tests. So I'm fascinated to see how this year plays out. But congrats on the win. I did think Notre Dame looked awesome in the green uniforms, but they is it me or do they like they lose way more often in those uniforms over the past 20 years? I know for a <laughs> while they had like a great record in the green uniforms from like the 50s on, but I think yeah, since yeah. like the Quinn years, they've lost in those. I would just like I would stop playing in those things. They do look awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they look I, I was seeing that like when they I think the night before when they you know showed that they were gonna be playing in the greens, I was like, those do I hate to say it, those look those look great. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, to take a dig at Notre Dame, for a while they just lost more often than not anyway. So yeah, that, that, that's probably the case. That's fair enough. And I one last note to with regard to Ohio State's schedule. They do have to face Wisconsin on the road, right? And yep. that's, that's fickle now. And so that, that'll, that'll that's going to be, and you know, he's going to be fired up for that game. That team's going to be fired yep. up for that game. So that will, that's the only other real test I see for Ohio state other than Michigan and Penn state, but yeah, it's uh, they, they're, they're looking good. They're looking in the driver's seat right now. When you put up a win like that, 
Um, no, it doesn't count towards the Big Ten, but it's it's a feather in their cap, and I'm excited it, for you it guys. Counts for the, rest for the of playoff season. committee. Yeah, it sure it sure as hell does. And not to put the cart before the horse. But. No, no, no. And what did you think about Ryan Day's? Before I let you go, what did you think about Ryan Day's comments afterwards? Was was it too much to like get mad at an 80 year old man, or was it just <laughs> enough? Like, is it, or 90? I don't know how old Lou Holtz is, but he's got to be up there. I I don't I don't either. Um, Again, I didn't realize he was still alive. So <laughs> he's old. Um, <laughs> but no, I I don't know. I loved it. I love because he. I mean, that's not the first time he's been you know passionate like that. I love you know regardless of you know who made those comments. Like I loved, I loved seeing it. I love seeing that passion, and it, it shows to me that you know you care about the guys on your team. You're fighting for these guys. You you know this is our team. Don't shit on us. Um, and he, and then, and he felt, you know, feels to, the pressure too, right? Like that's what it shows me. It's like, he's, that, he's under pressure. That I'm glad you said that because Ryan day specifically like targeted out like the second half of either our Michigan game last year or the year before. I was like, that's on your mind. Like, mm-hmm. which is like a, you're feeling the pressure, but also good that you're like, I guess, aware of it and thinking about it and Definitely. you know i you want know, my coach thinking do about care it. Yeah. yeah 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 it was i thought it was very i thought it was a you know an interesting tell on his mindset but no i i loved it and i think like you know i think he's a i think he's a great dude i think he's you know running the program well um you know you can you know quibble about the you know the high profile losses but you know we're you know, you're in, in the those playoffs games, more often than not. We're in those games. Like we almost beat Georgia last year. I think the lack of big game success is a little inflated, but um, or that perception anyway. But yeah, I I loved it. Um, I you know I thought that I thought that Marcus Freeman's comments were interesting about the you know only having ten guys on the field for that last play, um, thinking that- they're going to get. That, I'm glad you brought that up before before we cut it off because I've been critical. Not critical is not the right word. I've been questioning of Marcus Freeman because when he got to Notre Dame, he started recruiting really well. He got all this hype, and he's yep. he's like younger than me. He's probably about your age, maybe younger than you. And he's in he's your age, I think. Oh yeah, okay. Well, he's sub forty, and yeah. he. <laughs> He's he's a young coach learning on the job and to give him all this credit, like, oh, he's going to level them up over Brian Kelly. It's like, no, he is not. Like, Brian Kelly took that team to a national title and a playoff. He's an excellent coach. And if you can match that, you have done incredible because there's only been one yep. coach that's done that well at Notre Dame in the past 35 years, and it's Brian Kelly. It's hard yep. to win at Notre Dame with academic standards and the modern college football and all the rest. Yep. And so... I've had questions about Marcus Freeman and his ability to match that level because that's what he was being talked about as. And that well, he's last still playing with Brian Kelly's players, you know, right. aside and... from the transfer portal guys, and you know, yeah. And he's going to get good recruits. He's gotten good recruits, but like, I need to see him. Like, that's a bad look. That last play, not having ten men on the field, and then saying, "Well, we didn't want to get a penalty." You're on that one yard line. Like, yep. take take the penalty and get the guy in there. <laughs> well, and his, I mean, his reasoning was we didn't want to lose, you know, half the distance to the goal, but to your right. point, it's like, you're on the one large, <laughs> yeah. you're on the one yard line. Like, yeah. I <laughs> just there's don't, there's not much to go. 
and but, mistakes I mean, happen. It's he's not the only one getting those guys on the field. And so yeah. like mistakes happen, but it's just a bad look. And And I mean to his credit, like I mean, you know, when we uh when Trainum plunged in, it was very, very, was, very close. It was to super being close. Over. And so, they had stopped them multiple times throughout the game. So I'm not hammering yeah. him on that one thing. It just stands out. And it you can put it on a on a short list of things that have happened losing at home to Marshall last year. Like that things that have happened that I was like, okay, I'm he's good. And I think he's gonna win a lot of games, but like, is he national championship good? And it might take yep. three, four, five years, as much as Notre Dame fans don't want to hear it, to figure that out. But anyway. He could be, but yeah. I don't think he is right now. I So I saw on Twitter yesterday that somebody said that the, the 11th man on the field was Manti Teo's girlfriend, which I can, I completely forgot about that that whole thing. Yeah, it's like, oh man, what a what a good good callback. Uh, well, yeah, really got a, that's a nice pull there. But I saw a clip today on Twitter. It was a a meme of home of the eleventh man. It was the Texas A and M stadium, like painted green, and it said home of the eleventh mm-hmm. man. And I just like died laughing at that. I thought that was <laughs> very clever and great. Uh, but anyway, awesome. Greg, thank you so much for coming on. I kept you longer than I should have. But hey, uh, I, I could go another hour. This is, <laughs> this is a blast. But yeah, dude, congrats on the win. We'll see how Ohio State does. And hey, man, if they if they get a big win over Michigan, I might have to have you back on the show again. <laughs> I I would love to. And I will I will be I will be elated. Yes. Um, absolutely. All right, bud. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Uh, and I'm looking forward to coming down to Blacksburg for the NC State game. That's right. It's we have been, a big. It's been big, two years. Yeah, you came down for Notre Dame. Speaking of Notre Dame, you came down for a Notre Dame game a couple years back with us, and we're yep. going to do it again for NC State. We got yep. someone's 40th birthday. We got like 40 people coming down. It's going to be awesome. It just I, uh, for, no matter what happens in the game. <laughs> I got I got spoiled the last time I was there though with the uh, or no that wasn't the last time but with the uh, six overtime North Carolina game. Yeah, you did attend that. That game. was that's, epic. Yeah, that's awesome. Anyway, bud, I will talk to you soon. Have a good day. Right. Enjoy your week. Oh, Greg, great guy, good friend from D.C., and passionate, passionate Ohio State fan. Had some good perspective on the game and on the team. Thank you, Greg, for coming on. Let me get to these ACC notes before I get to to Virginia Tech. Louisville beat B.C. 56-28. to Jack Plummer had an awesome day. 388 yards, six total touchdowns, zero picks, 18.5 yards per attempt for Jack Plummer. A game that – a game, a game, a name – can't talk – that most ACC fans probably aren't very familiar with because he was at Purdue and then he was at Cal. Well, all of a sudden he looks like a pretty nasty quarterback. Now BC still managed to score 28 points on Louisville, but it was a pretty dominating win. Huggins Bruce went off. Jawar Jordan had three total TDs and 200 yards from scrimmage for Louisville. That's going to be a hard game for Virginia Tech when we go out there. UNC dispatched Pitt pretty easily, 41 to 24. Drake May was very efficient. 296 yards, three total TDs, two of them rushing, a 94.2 QBR. Jerk wasn't good again for Pitt. And they actually put in Christian Valu, who also wasn't good. Valu threw two interceptions in his 18 attempts and had a fumble as well. Pitt had nine tackles for loss. That's a little scary going into our game next week against Pitt, but they do not have a quarterback. We know we just have to be able to stop the run. Can we do it next week? 
I don't know. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that when I get to Marshall. Duke crushed UConn, something NC State couldn't do up in uh, in Connecticut, but Duke is looking strong. They got Notre Dame next week. Wow, that's that's going to be an interesting game. Speaking of NC State, what a go ACC game that was between UVA and NC State on Friday night. UVA fought, man, and Calandria was full Rex Grossman, just F it. I know someone's down there somewhere. Just did that number of times, throw a bunch of interceptions. But at the end of the day, he brought them back, got them into the end zone, despite some critical penalties, got the two-point conversion. But his helmet kind of popped off after that. They got penalized on the kickoff. They ended up having to kick it off to NC State's great returner, and he got an awesome return, set them up well. They got down the field. Brennan Armstrong led them to a field goal, won the game at the last second. But what a wild game that was. And I still think, despite Calandria's mistakes, like that kid is really good. He's mobile. He can make plays. He's he's exciting. And that's scary to think about. Like, think about how he's playing and how Drones is playing. Yes, they're both making mistakes. But Calandria is putting together some really exciting, really creative plays. And, and that, that's worrisome, too, going down the line. Miami whipped Temple 41-7. to GT easily beat Wake. Wake just isn't very good. Griffiths was terrible. Three interceptions and a fumble. Uh, under 17 QBR for him. And GT does look solid. They look solid. Haynes King, solid. Syracuse beat Army to wrap things up 29-16. to They were able to separate in the second half after losing at halftime to Army. Army's not bad at all, but that was a, that was a sleepy spot in the triple option game. Um, yeah, Syracuse, Syracuse struggled a bit, but was able to separate. Let's get to our sponsor before I get to some other notable games. College football Monday is brought to you by compass coffee. Always got the coffee here. There are a quickly becoming the go-to cup of Joe in the nation's capital, 16 locations in DC and Northern VA founded by two Marines trying to make a cup of coffee that points you in the right direction every day. Kind of like a compass. Mission accomplished. Right now, they are offering our listeners 20% off their first order using code 2DBT. That's 2DBT, all one word, all caps. So go to their site or download the Compass app. They've got a great app. But even if you don't live in D.C., load up your cart online. They will ship coffee right to your door. So that's code 2DBT for 20% off your order of Compass Coffee. Compass Coffee, great coffee, doesn't have to be complicated. What do I want to do for other notable games? And I promise I'm going to get to VT corner here. I've been putting it off just because that was a, we're, we're running out of things to say about Virginia tech, but Washington crushed Cal 59 32. They are, they are a wagon. As people like to say, it was over at halftime, four more touchdowns per, for Penix. He's the leader in Heisman odds right now, right up there with Caleb. They're both about plus 380 plus 400. Michael Penix is dominating. Texas took care of Baylor 38 to six. They continue to show how good they are. Ewers was awesome. Uh, Two total touchdowns over 300 yards, 12.7 yards per attempt. That is incredible. Game was in the bag uh, at halftime, really. OU went to Cincy and messed around. They finally don't look that good in a game. And this was predictable. The line was 14 and a half. Cincinnati coming off an embarrassing loss. And of course they cover against 
Oklahoma. I took Cincinnati with 14 in the hook. They covered by a half. Kansas beat BYU to get to 4-0. Kansas looks good, and guess who they play next week? Texas, a team that Kansas has been the thorn in the side of. So I want to see how Texas plays in that game. And if they prove to me again that they can win a beat a team, another decent team, by a touchdown or two, I'm going to feel more and more confident in having them in my playoff, in having them high up in my playoff. And I'm going to get to my playoff four shortly. TCU beat SMU 34 to 17 to take home the iron skillet. And like I said before, when I was talking to Greg, Harbaugh was back and they spanked Rutgers 31 to seven. Already talked about that game. VT corner. Oh man. What do you say? I said, I'm running out of things to say, but what do you say? It's a lot of the same every week. It started great. And we went right down the field in the first three minutes, seven, nothing on some really fun plays by Chiron drones and Bashal Tootin. the 31 yard rush by drones originally ruled out of bounds. They overturned it. The offense scored in the first quarter. We did it guys. Four games in put up points on offense in the first quarter. Though, uh, Marshall was able to tie it and it was pretty much all Marshall after our 10 to seven lead. It got to 24 to 10 Marshall before we finally put a drive together in the fourth drones ran in another TD to cut it to seven. And we did have a chance at the end, despite all the negativity, we did have a chance at the end in Marshall territory with a fresh set of downs. It eventually turned into a fourth and one, but then false start fourth and six and incomplete pass to lane ball game. The story of the game was the same though. Offense went cold. Defense failed to stop the run again. Rashina Lee went off. Same thing we've seen. Not enough from the O and a defense that plays well for about a half and then implodes. What really irked me in this game was that Tootin had about 82 yards on four carries at halftime. For the game, he ended up with nine carries. Drones, if you take out his sacks, had 11 carries. And he had a ton of rushing yards. So between our two best players and our two best rushers, in a game we were, we were running the ball well, we had 20 carries. That is not enough. 35 pass attempts for Chiron Drones. In his second start ever on the road, that's too many. Too few rushes, too many passes. I mean, it is that simple. The fact that we went against, went away from the rush on a day when Tootin was looking strong. I know we had some one yard gains or whatever, but like that's what this offense is. Give Tootin the ball, smash, smash, smash. He'll break one. That's that's what happened, and that's what would have continued to happen if you feed him the ball. I'm fairly confident. So that was a failure. One week after I give Bowen just the slightest, slightest bit of praise for his schematics. This is what he puts out there. 35 pass attempts for a more or less running quarterback on a day when he's not passing the ball well in his second start. 35 pass attempts. That's what irked me in this game. Two of 13 on third down killed us. 5.3 yards per play. Not going to get it done. Another fumble by drones in our own territory. So I will fault drones a little for that. It's two straight weeks in a row. He had a fumble in our own territory. Led to a field goal from Marshall. We had two interceptions. Couldn't capitalize on either one. 
our coaches, and this is really the big takeaway for me the last two weeks, our coaches are really, they're failing these kids. So many of our players look lost out there. If it happens a couple times during a game where guys look lost, that's fine. That's one thing. But our guys look lost so often, particularly on O-line and linebacker. And those are really the most key positions for us right now. Kelly Lawson put up the tackle numbers again. And there were some guys making plays. Pain comes to mind. But we just look lost so much. And that is a coaching problem. Chris Marv is our defensive coordinator. He's also the linebackers coach. Why, why are these guys in the wrong position with the missing assignments and and all this stuff? The offensive line, the clips keep coming up on, on Twitter every week, and it's just like, oh my gosh, there's guys blocking no one. There's guys blocking our own guys. Like it's it's just such a mess at those two positions. And the offensive line, I'm gonna give a little bit more leeway because they're younger. And they're on their third O-line coach in three years. But Chris Marv played linebacker. He's Pry's guy. Pry is a linebacker's guy. And and they, other than Kelly Lawson, and even he didn't have a perfect game, they look lost. And it's so, so frustrating when you think of what the lunch pail defense used to be. These are also not good teams we're losing to. And I don't, I don't want to be too doom and gloom. And that's why I was putting this segment off for so long. Purdue and Marshall, Rutgers, these aren't good teams. They're not great teams by any means. And you could say, oh, well, Purdue game, one score loss. Marshall game, one score loss. We had a chance at the end. But were these games really that close to you? Were they really, think about, were were our chances of winning really realistic when it came down to the second half? I'm going to say no. I'll, I'll respect the fact that the guys fought and it was a one score game. I do respect that. And when you look at it back on paper, it's like ah, a couple of plays here or there. And that's what Price says in the postgame. Uh, play here, play there, complimentary football. That's not, it's not that close. It's These games have not been that close as seven-point margin. And so I'm frustrated. The fans are frustrated. My one buddy, Brian, who I had on on my Friends from College episode, he's like, our fans are freaking out online. And I, and so me and him kind of have this back and forth. I'm like, well, we do look bad, dude. It's it's kind of ugly out there. And he's like, I expected this. He's like, I didn't expect to win more than three, four games. And so that, and maybe we all should have been more prepared for how ugly it could look. But I expected to see progress from last year. And in a lot of the positions, I'm seeing regression. And that is why it's troubling. Like the offensive line is absolutely positively worse than last year. And last year it was terrible. And that's so frustrating. The linebackers without Dax are a shell of what they were last year. And the other issue, and this is, this is the only like maybe saving grace I'll say is that can we play a more pass heavy team <laughs> for the love of God? Cause these last two teams are playing in, to what we are just absolutely not doing well at all. Like I, I want to play an air raid team just so we can see if the defense is better against a mostly passing team. And and I will say like Purdue, they're trying to be more air raid and Maccabee went nuts on us. So we did kind of play one um, and Pitt. Oh my gosh. Think about the last two teams you played and think about Pitt. Pitt can't throw. 
They can't pass at all, but they do know how to run the football. And that's what they want to do. That's what Pat Narduzzi wanted to do, even when he had Kenny Pickett winning an ACC title. So I'm nervous about the pit game because they play defense and they want to run the ball. I will talk more about Marshall and Pitt with Robbie on our two deep episode this week, but I am very concerned about the final record for this team because winning three games or four games or five games, I feel like fans are not going to be okay with, but they're going to be like, okay, we're still, the roster's bad. I get it. If we win two games, or remain with our one win, which I do think is unlikely. I think I think just by the nature of things, you will win another game. But if you end the season with two wins, I I don't know what's gonna heads are gonna someone's head's gonna have to roll. Like you're gonna have to replace coordinators. You're gonna there's gonna be a tough look at wit, there's gonna be a tough look at pry. So yeah, I I mean I don't even I don't even want to think about what what our fans reaction is going to be if we ended the season with two wins and a loss to UVA or something. So I just wish these coaches could, could get a little bit more out of this roster. Cause I I'm tired of blaming the talent. I said it last week and I'll continue to say it. The talent is an issue. I believe this, and this is my opinion. That is more of a coaching issue. When we hired these guys and I went back and I listened to Robbie's and my take on the hires when we made them a year and a half ago, and we said, these are recruiting hires. You don't hire a 32-year-old offensive and defensive coordinator. We have two really young coordinators for their experience or their schemes. You hire them for recruiting. And a bunch of other of these hires were hired for recruiting, not coaching. And we thought, well, it doesn't mean they're not good coaches. They could end up being good coaches. That's not what we've seen. We are not seeing these guys coached up. It, it is... Look at the film. It is a parent. It is not just a talent issue. These these coaches are failing these kids to a point. And it's always a combination of both, but I believe this to be more of a coaching issue at this point, and we should be better. All right, that's enough of that. Let's move to the AP poll. Let me add this to the screen. A couple Pac-12 teams dropped out this week because of the matchups. Just six Pac-12 teams in there. Still a lot of teams. We had, what was it, Missouri, Kansas, and Fresno hopping into the rankings right there at the bottom. And we had Colorado, UCLA, and Iowa dropping out. And I think Bud Elliott said, like, I don't expect Colorado to get back into those rankings because they're probably taking another loss here soon and probably will add several more to the list. I was disappointed in UCLA because I thought they would be able to cover and maybe even win that game at Rice-Eccles with a new, you know... DTR is not there anymore. That offense looked bad playing against Utah the other day. And Utah also has the seventh hardest schedule left in the country. A lot of those Pac-12 teams do because they play so many other good teams. I think Utah is going to take some losses here. USC has the hardest schedule in the country, according to FPI. I think they take a loss or two. What were they doing with Arizona State this past weekend? What were they doing? That defense is an issue. I said it was an issue after week one, and it continues to look like an issue. USC is not going undefeated through this regular season. They got a real tough stretch of games coming up. You see the SEC pops up with, was it seven teams now? So they have the most teams in the top 25, typical. Missouri, because of that win over Kansas State two weeks ago and continuing to play well, they get in the rankings. Florida's still in the rankings. 
Uh, it's just, still behind Tennessee. Okay, whatever. We're, we'll just go with it. Uh, it. It's weird because Utah continues to look good. That's Florida's only loss. They beat Tennessee, and they're still behind them. Whatever. The, again, a situation where the pollsters got it wrong. But that's the AP poll for now. Not too much commentary on that. And, of course, my playoff four, it has changed. Not the teams, but the order. Texas is my new number one for the playoff four. I think they just continue to look solid. Of all the teams at the top, I think they have the best win. And they've played consistent, the most consistent. Michigan stays at number two. I had Georgia number one last week. Georgia drops to three for me. I still think they go undefeated through the regular season. I think they beat Bama in the title game. But if Texas goes undefeated, I think their strength of schedule keeps them higher. If Michigan goes undefeated, I think their strength of schedule keeps them higher. I know it's it's crazy in the SEC to say that, but Georgia's schedule is just that week. So this is basically counting on Texas and Michigan both going undefeated and Georgia maybe catching a loss and then beating Bama in the title game. Florida State, they look susceptible to a loss. I had to drop them to four, but ultimately I still think even if they catch a loss, they beat Clemson. Clemson could win the game, but I'm still going to take them to beat Clemson on a neutral field in the ACC title. And so that is my playoff four right now. I got Texas number one, Michigan number two, Georgia number three, and Florida State number four. Again, I considered putting Oregon into my playoff four. I considered putting Washington into my playoff four. They are, they are the next two, Penn State even. But that, that would require like a Michigan swap out. Uh, so I just think that that Pac-12 is going to beat on, up on each other so much. I can't I can't do it. I can't do it right now. And there's a chance Florida State goes undefeated. And if they're going to go undefeated and these other three teams are going to go undefeated, unlikely. Unlikely. However, if they do, one of those Pac-12 teams is going to have a loss and they're not going to get in. And that's my read on it right now. So that is my playoff four. Week five games. We've got Utah at Oregon State. Great matchup on Friday night. That's awesome to get the weekend started. USC at Colorado. Probably not going to be too pretty, but Colorado should put up some points. Georgia at Auburn. Going to be a fun one. Kansas at Texas. I talked about that. That's a ranked matchup. Kansas is in the ranking. So a team that's given Texas problems. Will they give Texas problems again? The game's in Austin, so maybe not. LSU at Ole Miss. Ole Miss, I'm not sure if they're very good. Like, if Pratt plays, Tulane might have beat them. And they could only muster 10 points last week against a good Bama defense. So what's going to happen in the LSU game? We're going to learn a lot about the SEC West in this one. Someone's going to get a second loss, and that's going to be interesting. ND at Notre Dame. Oh, I'm sorry, ND at Notre Dame. ND at Duke. I'm getting tired. Tough spot for Notre Dame going to Duke directly after this devastating loss. They could lose that one too, man. I'm telling you, this stretch of games for Notre Dame is really tough. That's why I added them to my fraud teams. Duke is playing really well. Not against great competition, but they're playing really well. But And then there are five ranked teams on a bye. So a, a few less great games, great matchups than last week. Last week, this past weekend was a great Great slate of games. So those are these upcoming week's games. I'm looking forward to them. I will talk more about the pit game. It's a sellout. How interested are our fans going to be to be there? I I don't know. I don't know how the stands are going to look after what we've seen. A one and three start for the team. Just it stinks, man, because all those games are winnable. This pit game is winnable. None of these teams are 
very good. I mean, Pitt's not a good team this year. They're not a good team. But what can you say about us, right? Please, Hokies, let's get a win. Let's get back on track. Let's go 1-0 in ACC play next weekend. We'll talk more about it in a couple days. Thanks for joining me if you hopped in. Much appreciated. Go Hokies.